Welcome to another episode of Connect and Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna. Today's episode, we'll be talking about the, about the foundational five to healthy living and intermittent fasting. Today's guest is Marisa Moon. Marisa Moon is a certified primal health coach and creator of the online course, Intermittent Fasting Freedom. Marisa teaches the most flexible intermittent fasting lifestyle, help, uh, sorry, fasting lifestyle to help busy adults forget the, result, the rules and put an end to the confusion around what's healthy. Named one of 10 influential health coaches to follow to 2020. She is also a fasting coach for Life Mobile Apps, host of Foundation of Wellness podcast, and writer for the Primal Health Coach Institute blog. Marisa, welcome to the show. All right. It's great to be here, Andy. Thanks so much for inviting me on. Absolutely. So, Marisa, tell us how you got to today, how you got to this moment, how you became a Primal Health Coach, why you became a Primal Health Coach, why you're so interested in intermittent fasting. Give it yeah. to <laughs> I de definitely didn't know that this would be in my career path or become such a passion of mine, mm -hmm. but I always um, was struggling with my appetite and maintaining the body composition that I wanted to have and was constantly dieting um, like, like most people who, who shared those same concerns um, mm -hmm. in my early 20s. And I slowly over time became sensitive to gluten, but I didn't know what was going on. I had all of these embarrassing IBS symptoms that, you know, I even kept from my boyfriend at the time, who's my now husband. I didn't want to talk about it. It was so embarrassing and um, mm -hmm. just made me feel gross. Like this isn't supposed to be happening. That's not how my body's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. And um, I started asking questions and trying to look for answers. And I actually looked to podcasts and I found a nutrition podcast where they were presenting all of these ideas I never thought of before. And they were kind of contradicting everything I believed to be true. Like they were saying to eat more healthy fats in which they included butter. And I was like, wait a second, butter? Because at the time I was in the low fat, high whole grain diet kind of phase. And they were suggesting a lot of people are sensitive to gluten and dairy. And I you know, was not really ready for that information yet, but I kept listening because I um, saw topics in the podcast that resonated with me. And then they'd have callers calling in, telling their stories and testimonials. And I was like, eventually like, whoa, like this really could be a thing. Like I could have what they were calling a leaky gut. And um, maybe I need to just try giving up gluten and I could just start eating it again if it doesn't work. So what's the big deal? I won't tell anyone. It's like, it'll be fine. You know, because right. this was like eight years ago. So, okay. um, you know, in 2012, I didn't know anyone who was gluten-free and I didn't really know how I would live my life that way. I'm mm -hmm. Italian and food is like a big, big, big part of my life and my identity and my happiness. And so it was kind of crazy to me to even have to consider it, but I was desperate. And as soon as I got rid of the gluten, my IBS symptoms were virtually gone and wow. it was almost immediate for me. So it just kind of became a no brainer. And I kept playing around with how many exceptions I could make. And um, you have to learn the hard way like that. You have to, you know, go in and out. It's like ending a bad relationship. Like you're going to relapse a couple of times and try and figure out like if there's a workaround, but um, there wasn't for me. And that kind of sent me on this 
path learning about the paleo diet and more ancestral templates, like what happened to our food system? Why are all these things happening all of a sudden? Why are we all getting these like adult onset food sensitivities? And I just became fascinated with it. It made so much sense to me to think about these time-tested philosophies and dietary principles that humans have really um, had an inner knowing and respect and understanding for, for so long before we got wrapped up in what the media or some diet guru tells us to do, or before we had all these highly manufactured um, pr products to that we call food. And we've really lost touch with where food comes from, who's growing it, and how did it get to our table. And so it just started with a journey at mylongevitykitchen.com, which was my blog to share recipes being gluten-free and paleo-ish. And from there, I um, realized more people wanted me to be involved in their events or teach people how to cook or eat more uh, nutrient-dense foods and work with food sensitivities. And I soon realized, wow, I could turn this into my career. And I became a certified primal health coach in 2017. And I'm just really happy that I found this passion. And what did you do before becoming a coach? I don't know if you mentioned it. I was actually a career bartender in downtown Chicago. Okay. So I really didn't know what the next chapter of my life would be. And it was hard to leave that career because it was extremely fun. Mm -hmm. And I was great at it. <laughs> like the places were really busy that I worked at, like really, really busy, you know, hundreds of people at a time and fast paced. So it was fun and I made crazy money. And so it's hard to leave that, you know, it, it really is like better than you're going to make a paycheck at another job for, for mm -hmm. most of us coming from there. And uh, you can't keep that up forever. At least I couldn't, you know, I also dealt with chronic fatigue and all mm -hmm. sorts of, um, you know, things along the way of my healing journey. And I realized I can't work late hours. I can't st like stay up and do crazy things. My body just can't take it anymore. And once I turned 30, it was really apparent to me that there's so much more involved in my health than just eat what I eat or exercising. And I had to dig deep and figure out what those pieces of the puzzle were for me. Yeah, absolutely. That was a big switch, right? Our switch uh, from bartending to primal health coach. Uh, that's like complete opposite, I would probably say. I know. It was kind of scary at first, but everybody was so open to it. I think, cool. you know, they could really see that it was something I'm passionate about and it mm -hmm. made people listen because I just had to step out of my fear and be you know, willing to re-identify myself. That was a big part of the transition for me. It was like, you know, first you have this like imposter syndrome, like who am I mm -hmm. to tell people this or that, or to, um, you know, suddenly put this face forward. And mm -hmm. I'm glad I did because it's taught me a lot about myself and what I'm capable of and um, how to overcome some of my fears or insecurities. Yeah, absolutely. And you also came from experience of having all these symptoms and uh, things you'd have to deal with on a daily basis where you made this switch and you really were living this lifestyle that uh, that you're now teaching. So, yeah. um, you know, you you work with clients uh, like in person or virtually. What does your day to day look like now as a primal health coach? Well, I I will admit I have too much going on. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, but I can't uh, say anything bad about it because it's just been amazing. This has been a, a good year in spite of everything that's just so awful going on in the world mm -hmm. right now. And it hit me hard when we had to lock down for the beginning of the pandemic. I didn't know how to course correct and really deal with that transition. But then I realized how many people still needed me and wanted health coaching. And it really gave me a resurgence like in my purpose and, and what, what I'm doing and what drives me. And I, I coach people one-on-one, -on -one, you know, typically between five to 10 one-on-one -on -one patients in any given month. And I coach um, groups like one of them is called My Six Method, where everyone takes six weeks to either do intermittent fasting or this other weight loss eating pattern that my partner, Adrian Hanover, calls staggered eating. And we coach them through the group together as people reduce sugar and cut out dairy and cut out gluten and just go through this great, quick six-week trans transformation. And I work with the Lifeomic fasting app so people can just call me spontaneously to ask fasting questions. And uh, we do small groups for them as well. And I have the podcast. So most of my clients are online and they're from all over the world now. It's been pretty amazing, you know, attracting people from Canada or Australia. And I, I feel so grateful, you know, that there are that many people who want to connect and, and, you know, learn with me. So. Awesome. So, I mean, I, I did talk in another episode as far as what intermittent fasting was, but go ahead and tell us your uh, your philosophy and your um, and how you help people through intermittent fasting. Great. I mean, it became so much of a passion to me, I think, because it's like so obvious why it works once you really understand how it works. And again, this is one of those like pieces of wisdom that we've just lost in our modern era that we just completely misunderstood what the purpose of food is and how it gives us energy and what is required from the body in order to make energy from food. And it relieved me from my constant obsession with eating. It was like, no matter how much I ate, I had to eat again and think about food all the time. And honestly, that's not really a way to live. Even if you're able to maintain your body composition, it makes you feel like you're an addict or you're out of control or you're never satisfied and you're always seeking, seeking, seeking. And it just doesn't feel right, you know, to be so full that you have to like lean back, take a break, unbutton your pants and like, <laughs> you know, take a nap like it's Thanksgiving mm -hmm. every week. And um, I just found with intermittent fasting, to my surprise, how much more mental energy I had. It helps tremendously with my ADHD and it makes me less hungry. It's like so counterintuitive to, to actually experience that. Like the less I eat, the less hungry I am. It's just incredible. And the thing that to me mattered the most about sharing this was to bust all of the misconceptions that intermittent fasting has to be a method, a protocol, and a, you know, a regimented pattern like every other diet that we have all tried. And so I pride myself on teaching the most flexible intermittent fasting lifestyle that really sets people up for success. And no matter what people come to intermittent fasting for, when they find an intermittent fasting routine that actually works for them, they're not pushing themselves too hard, too fast. They want to stay there for the rest of their life because it makes them feel so much better and makes their life better in so many ways they didn't even imagine. And 
for me, it, that was the case. For my clients, that's the case. It's just really shocking how much our bodies really need a break from constant digestion. And essentially, that's why intermittent fasting works so well. We're finally giving our bodies a break. We're stopping requiring insulin, which is a master hormone in the body. And if we're always producing insulin, there's always chronic inflammation in the body. And we're either putting on more body fat or we're stopping our own body fat from being used to ener for energy. And that's what it's there for. That's mm -hmm. why we have fat on our bodies. It's a survival advantage. It's something that we can tap into when food is scarce. And for most of the human experience, we did inevitably go through times when food was scarce. But today we can order Grubhub at midnight and we can reach for a snack in our own bedroom if we want. And we have shelf-stable foods and we don't have to make anything ourselves. It's far too convenient. And so I like to look at it like Halloween candy or a bar full of liquor. Like we know we're not supposed to just keep eating that all the time just because it's there or drinking the booze all the time just because it's there. It's time for us to see that it's also the same with food, even if it's healthy food. To be constantly requiring digestion and insulin in your body is a burden and your body can't keep up. Yeah, it's almost like we get conditioned. I know myself, I had to, uh, and I was doing intermittent fasting without even knowing it. Um, and I would then, you would listen to all the diets and people saying, hey, and me especially as an athlete, hey, you want to bulk up? You got to do six meals a day or uh, mm -hmm. big three, big four meals, the snacks in between. Um, one, it was tiring and I knew for myself, it wasn't like, I was like, I can't keep up with this. And I would always revert back to, um, I would eat like a late breakfast. I would eat, uh, like a little snack and then a, uh, almost like early dinner. And I was good. I didn't have to eat more, uh, athletically. I was doing well physically. I felt fine, uh, mentally in school and even now great. Uh, so you're constantly pressured. Hey, make sure you eat, especially me coming from a uh, Hispanic family. And I can only imagine your Italian culture. Uh, food is like one of the main staples to bring the family together. So always big foods, always, uh, you know, my grandma always say, hey, uh, you got to eat more. I see you too skinny. Mm -hmm. You eat more, whatever uh, it comes up with. Um, but, you know, it's almost like a constant conditioning thing, like you mentioned. And it's like we have the ease of access of food, whether it's through Uber Eats or, like you mentioned, stuff on the shelf. Um, it's It gets really, really daunting to the fact that Anytime you have any sensation of boredom or anything, you tend to go to food or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, it's always there. It's very interesting. Yeah. And that's something that we have to learn about ourselves because never before did we have to demonstrate such self-control yeah. that was not about what we're eating. And instead, it's about how often we're eating and I'm glad that this is picking up with such wild popularity because it's not a fad and it's not going anywhere. I know that I put my life savings on that. It, it's not going anywhere because this is what the human body was designed to experience. And people are starting to realize that once they finally attempt it, it's intimidating at first. It may even seem unappealing to you at first. But when you see enough people around you thriving on it to their own surprise, you soon become a believer and you think, okay, what's the big deal? I'll just skip breakfast. I've tried that once before on accident when I had a crazy morning or I forgot to get something or I was too busy or I've accidentally worked through lunch before. Like, I'll survive. And then you realize like, whoa, this is actually 
healthy? Like, wait a second. And you start questioning, like, how come we were always taught this or that? And it's just the, the breakfast myth to me is one of the most mind blowing things because it, it really began in the late 1800s when John Kellogg's, the creator of the breakfast cereal, Kellogg's, wanted to sell his new breakfast cereal. And no one ever heard of breakfast cereal before. They heard of grains, cereal grains, but no one ever really made it into a food before. And he had this new process of like protruding the grains or some kind of process where it's like puffed up like that and makes it into a crunchy treat. And he came up with a marketing slogan, breakfast, the most important meal of the day to advertise to the busy modern mother who had to get food on the table, the housewife, uh, without cooking. Could she possibly give the kids breakfast and the family breakfast without cooking? And it was a big hit. People were like, wow, I could just give my kids this box of cereal and I'm a good mom. This is great. And it was passed on generation after generation, believing that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And little did anyone realize that was just a marketing tactic. For the listeners, what's one of the best ways to start to incorporate this flexible intermittent fasting that you teach your your clients and, and other coaches? Well, the number one thing that you will be glad you did and that I recommend you do is to do it gradually. Mm-hmm. Think of this like you were training for a marathon. You're not going to start running 20 miles a day if you've never ran a mile. You're not right. going to start running every single day if right now you don't even run once a week and it's like you have to give your body time to adapt to this because you have been eating so frequently that there are genetic switches in your body that have been turned off for a long time and we need to train them to be turned on so that your body finally learns how to use body fat for energy and to switch your metabolism like that can take some time. And there's all sorts of other hormones involved when you start intermittent fasting or just in general. I mean, when we wake up in the morning, you you might experience a hunger pang because you ritualistically eat your breakfast every morning at 8 a.m. But that will pass almost immediately uh, within just a few days of breaking that pattern. And in the first day that you do it, it passes usually within 30 minutes and you can still have coffee and you can still have tea and water with lemon. And it's, it's amazing how, when you take it gradually, like you start with 12 hours. That's what I usually tell people, you know, at least two hours before you go to bed. Um, If that's already hard for you because of the way your lifestyle is start with cutting out the snacking because it's really like the constant grazing and eating and the snacking is a habit on its own that has nothing to do with hunger. It's it's like you mentioned already, Andy. It's like we're, we're eating out of boredom or to distract us or to get a little dopamine boost in our brain that feels mm-hmm. like a reward when we are doing something we don't feel like doing or that's not engaging or dealing with difficult emotions that we haven't quite acknowledged. And it becomes such a habit that we don't even realize we're doing it or reaching for the food or why it is. And so sometimes people have to start there to cut out the snacking habits one by one, especially the evening snacks. And um, I love the Atomic Habits framework. Atomic Habits is a book by James Clear, and Mm -hmm. he helps listeners see how many 
pieces are contributing to your habit, which is especially the cue. Like it's time for you to go watch Netflix and that's when you have your after dinner snack. Well, if that's the cue for you is sitting down and watching Netflix on your couch, how about you do something different for a week or two to help break that reward pattern of snacking at once. And and that's different for everyone. It could be, you know, calling a friend or your mom or someone that you've been meaning to catch up with that you haven't been, or it could be just watching Netflix on your phone so that it requires both hands and you're not eating, or it could be like um, reading. You've been meaning to read, but you haven't done it. Um, It could be going to bed earlier. It could be so many different things. Going for a walk. I love that one because a lot of times you're not even hungry by the time you get back. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I think that starting with 12 hours and gradually working your way up, don't listen to all the noise in the fasting industry. Okay. You're going to want to try the things that you learn about. And I encourage you to learn about them, read them and stuff, but don't think that you have to all of a sudden do a 16 hour fast or all of a sudden do an 18 hour fast, because I've seen it time and time again, where people move too fast and they have all of these negative consequences that make them want to quit or make them want to binge when the window, when it's time to eat. And it's like, If you take it slowly, it's just easy and you feel confident and you realize like, I can do this. And then you want to do it. And then you want to add a couple more hours. And then before you know it, you accidentally fasted 18 or 20 hours and you weren't even thinking about food. And you sit there and think, geez, like a month ago, I couldn't even imagine going 14 hours. And here I am accidentally going 18 to 20 hours and feeling awesome. Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, small steps, right? I mean, whether in the fitness industry, in the health industry, wherever you are, uh, it's very important to take your time and understand that you're at your own pace and on your own path. Um, I'm a big fan of this 12 hours because, like I said, I've always heard 16 and 18 as well. Um, but I like the 12 hours. It's, you know, you start small and work your way up. And some people, do you see that some people stay at the 12 hours or usually gradually uh, end up going to 16 or 18 or even longer. Are there any, are there any of your clients that usually stay around 12? The only people who stay around 12 are the people who are not willing to, or ready to give up their junk food carbs. Mm. Um, not that you have to give up carbs, but excessive carbohydrates, processed foods, their favorite treats and things. Um, you know, it's very difficult to, fast longer than 14 hours when you are entirely dependent on glucose, carbs, sugar for energy. And if you're not willing to do the deep work and figure out um, how to slowly undo those addictions and habits, then you may find that you want to stay at 12 hours. And honestly, you're still way better off than you were before and way more things are benefiting you for your health if you made that small change. So I encourage people to try it regardless. Awesome. Awesome. And we, we touched up a little bit on gut health, on routine and stress. I know, and I saw on your website, you talked about the foundational five. Can you just kind of go briefly on what those are and how you integrate that into how you work with your clients? Yeah. You know, I made something like this little chart called the foundational five, which um, I put on my website to kind of explain my philosophy because like in functional medicine, which is like this holistic uh, way to practice medicine and look at things differently, searching for a root cause, uh, I, I find that 
It's the same with any health journey. A lot of us just want it to be the diet or just want it to be the exercise routine. But the the more you get into these things or the more success you may experience in one of those areas, the more you realize how many other things are contributing to your, to your success or your lack thereof. And as a health coach and in my own journey, I realized there's so much more than just diet and exercise. And you mentioned the brain, I mean, the gut mm-hmm recently. And there is a really deep and incredible connection between the gut and the brain. And the gut brain axis is something that's now finally being studied and and understood better. But the gut brain connection is just so incredibly important. And honestly, I could have made it the foundational 10 because I feel like a lot of these things really require a a lot more nuance and it depends Mm -hmm. on the individual. But I included in the five, the diet, the gut brain, the mobility, which also, of course, includes exercise, but including recovery, recovery and just daily movement and then challenging your body um, in different ways. And then stress, which is including all sorts of things, you know, our stress hormones, how resilient we are mentally and how resilient our body is. So physical and emotional stress and then relationships and having time spent in nature and also doing things that we enjoy, which I call play. And mm-hmm. um, that's a category on its own. And then sleep. Oh, God, I can't emphasize this enough. I wish there were more people who really cared about sleep. And you only start caring about it when you so desperately need it that you honestly fear for your life. That is mm-hmm. what it's like when you have chronic fatigue. You are wondering if this is what it's going to be like forever, then you're probably going to die soon because it's so God awful. You can't even stand up. You can't, you can't do anything. Like your brain doesn't even work. Have you ever had such a terrible flu that like you literally can't think straight? You're trying to like answer an email or answer a message. And you're like, I can't freaking put the thoughts together. And that's all your brain. Yeah. I mean, that is no joke. Like when you are that sleep deprived or there's something going on, that's really zapping your body's energy to that degree. It, nothing else matters. You can't do anything else without your brain or without energy. And it's, we take so far advantage of those things because we're in such a fast paced world right now. And we have, you know, even if it's for positive reasons, you know, even if you're excited about the work that you do and you have so many friends and fun things going on and you are really active in your kids' lives and you just, you want to do it all. Like, even if it's positive, if you're chronically sleep deprived, it will catch up with you one day to the point where you cannot deny it. I mean, I had a client who was in the hospital for three months with pneumonia because she did not take sleep and stress seriously. She worked her ass off and had kids and, um, you know, owned four, three businesses. And, um, this was before she came to see me, but it, you know, it will catch up with you if you don't take it seriously, um, and notice the symptoms and, you know, the symptoms can be wide ranging, but if you're not firing on all cylinders and you're wondering what it is, that's not, uh, you know, allowing you to get to the next level. If you're like, gosh, I'm, I'm eating really healthy, but I'm still tired all the time. Or gosh, I'm, you know, I'm exercising, but I just, I feel like it doesn't matter. I don't see any results in my body. Well, 
it, it really could have to do with your quality of sleep, your, your lack of a sleep routine. Um, I encourage all the listeners to get a sleep tracker. If you don't have one already, put it on airplane mode, whether the sleep tracker is on your phone or it's on a, a watch or a ring. Uh, make sure that it's not sending Wi-Fi signals while you're sleeping because to my surprise, that was one of the missing links when I fixed my sleep. Trust mm -hmm. me, I thought EMFs, which are electromagnetic frequencies, I thought that it was like way overblown, like in the holistic uh, arena, like, oh yeah, these little signals from my phone or my Bluetooth watch is going to keep me awake at night. Yeah, right. And um, that was one of the last things I was finally willing to try because I was like, God, I'm almost there. You know, I'm almost getting enough deep sleep. I don't know what it is. And so I finally decided to put my phone on airplane mode and boom, that was the missing link for me. And I did so many other things though. I had to get into the whole blue light blocking thing. I wear these crazy orange amber glasses at night because I, otherwise I'll be tossing and turning or it'll take me an extra hour or so to fall asleep. And mm -hmm. it's just these little life changes that you start to weigh the pros and cons. Like, you know, is it better to be able to do whatever I want and be on my phone however long I want and stay up as late as I want and suffer, you know, the, the next day and be tossing and turning at night? Or is it better to just bite the bullet, join the club, wear the orange glasses, you know, go to sleep early, turn off the device and turn off your uh, Wi-Fi, put it on airplane mode and feel freaking great. Mm hmm. It's true. It's true. I mean, when I saw, I remember looking through your website, I was like, foundational five. First of all, the first thing, I'm not like the first thing I started, I thought of was the Fantastic Four, the movie. And Love the, that. Uh, <laughs> I was like, wow, this is pretty catchy. So foundational <laughs> five. And this is something that um, I, I myself also think about super, super uh, important. And so in my realm, it's more like rehab and health and performance. But in reality, what I started seeing early on is people were coming in for one thing, right? Either it was like pain or discomfort or, uh, or like you mentioned, uh, a movement uh, dis uh, discrepancy or whatever, or, you know, some of their pain was coming from the amount of stress that they were going through. But, you know, they would come in for this one thing, thinking they were going to get like this kind of mm -hmm. quick fix, like, hey, rub here and give me this exercise. But what I started seeing and even my uh, patients and clients is, there was much more to the problem, right? It was, was how were they handling stress? Was it too much stress? Mm. Uh, you know, were they sleeping well? Were they recovering well? And then obviously the movement side, you know, were they handling their training correctly? Were they doing too much diet? You know, all mm. those things. Um, so I think a lot of people, I think most people should think like this, but I think a lot of people, when they come to professionals like ourselves, they come for this one thing. Uh, which could be super, super kind of like uh, defined, like, hey, I have a problem going to sleep or I have problem with digestion. And then you start to look into these uh, foundational five and you start to see there's many more things happening here. Maybe this might be the root cause. And if we start to you know address kind of like fine, fine tuning some of these other parts, what you came in for and everything else will start to improve. So um, it's something I see almost every day. They'll come yeah. in for one thing, but it's really... Uh, holistically, if we just look at the bigger picture on how the human is working uh, and address that, that's how we really look for long-term uh, sustainability. Mm -hmm. And I wish more people cared about all of these things, but you know, it's just not like that. When someone comes to us or comes to wellness, 
looking for answers, they usually have tunnel vision. They only care yeah. about one thing right now. And so I don't usually present this to my clients. And I really, except for the ones who are into like preventative health and just optimizing mm-hmm. their health, I, I really mm-hmm. don't present this at all because it's, it's, um, it feels like you're not listening to them if yeah. you present them with things that are outside of their immediate interest. And um, the, the thing about stress is we need to let our clients start to reveal in themselves that stress is a real problem. Because when someone just says to you, um, you know, we have to do something to learn to manage the stress better, cope with the stress, deal with the stress. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Life is right. stressful. I, it's not going to, stress isn't going to go away. So mm-hmm. I've heard it a million times. I've tried, you know, this or that, or taken Xanax or whatever people have gone through. They feel like you're not understanding them or listening to them. And so they almost need to get there themselves because when you finally start taking care of your health in one of these areas, you start waking up to the other areas that Mm -hmm. like you've been ignoring for so long because you finally have some space or some, uh, I guess, confidence and clarity. Yeah. Yeah. To, to even consider them. So it needs to be like where, let's say under the stress category, I, I include relationships and someone may not be ready to admit that there Mm -hmm. is a relationship that is, and this could be your boss. Like it doesn't have to be your partner, but you know, we, a, a lot of us have relationship problems with the person that we love or our parents or with our boss. And we don't talk about it because we feel like there's nothing we could do about it. Or we feel like we've tried everything already, or we feel like if we talk about it, it's only going to make it worse. And we're going to like downward spiral into this, like, you know, self-loathing, like depression phase or something. And so people kind of keep that in, but the longer we work together or the more they get used to just talking about what, what their experience is like with their health, they start to admit like, you know, it really would have been okay, but I was really upset about this. And when we start seeing this pattern where, oh, I've heard you bring that up a few times. Like, do you feel like you're usually doing well? And then this argument happens with this person and then you feel like you find yourself in your old behavior patterns and they'll be like, yeah, you know, that is something that that comes up regularly. And I'm almost like anxious about it coming up because it's it seems to happen every time. OK, now we have self-awareness here. Now we have, mm-hmm. you know, awareness of one's own environment or situation that is contributing to it's it's triggering other patterns of behavior that you no longer want to um, sustain. And so I think stress and sleep are are difficult ones because people need to come to those um, inquiries and uh, realize that, that it's an area to work on almost themselves. Yeah, absolutely. You make uh, a phenomenal point. It's uh, it's something you hear in like martial arts, uh, you know, basically almost any teaching really. Uh, and I got this, uh, and it's something that I constantly talk with my mentor. Um, and he talks about the student-teacher relationship and meaning that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And when the teacher is ready, the students will appear. But I think it's also important, too, with healing and when it comes to all this health stuff, um, is you have to be ready uh, to address those things, right? For a lot of people, it might be too much at one time, like you mentioned. 
Uh, so coming in and addressing their one thing um, in the very beginning can lead to opening other doors or like we mentioned, you come in with a movement problem, but then we can talk about stress and then stress leads to sleep. And then we can start talking about mm-hmm. uh, your nutritional choices and diet and then how all that affects uh, the body in itself. But I think also too, like you mentioned, the person has to be ready um, because it can be an uncomfortable path, right? When you notice that there are so many things mm-hmm. that can be leading to this problem and it can be daunting to say, oh my God, and, and they can say, oh my God, I didn't know I was so bad. And they go into, like you mentioned, into this spiral. Um, so definitely the, the person needs to be ready and there needs to be a, a time uh, allotted for that learning process and for that healing process. So I 100% agree. Yeah. And it to me, I wish that I could just be like, okay, you know, we're going to talk about <laughs> this for like a month or two and everything is just going to be great in your life. And it's, um, I, I think self-improvement is a lifetime dedication yeah. and mm-hmm. it, it only becomes more and more important to you the the more you experience these little wins and um these real little realizations about yourself and the older we get you kind of it's like you're gonna go one way or the other you're gonna be the kind of person who accepts doom and gloom and is like when you get older life just gets worse and everything just sucks or you're like I want to make the most of this life that I have and whatever I got to do to get there, I'm willing to at least attempt. And, you know, I'm not like a self-optimization freak or anything. Like I really admire biohackers and and people who are into all the quantified self stuff. Um, I, I usually only get somewhere like this, like the clients I'm describing to you, you know, when something becomes especially difficult to me and I find myself complaining about it enough, I'm like, okay, like this is the area I'm finally willing to put effort into and to learn about and Mm -hmm. um, get borderline obsessive about until I figure something out. I mean, that's, I mean, that's how you learn. So, I mean, you've done good up to this point, so I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I mean, to hear your story has been awesome and the way you've, um, evolved with your philosophy has been awesome. We talked about intermittent fasting. We talked about foundational five, especially when it comes to sleep and stress. Um, So the audience, I mean, if you haven't, if you haven't written notes here, you're, you're losing uh, some time here. So make sure you rewind and listen again. Um, How can the, how can our audience uh, reach out to you? Well, thank you so much. It's, it's really fun to talk about this stuff and I'm especially focused on intermittent fasting and a lot of the work I do, but I'm also working on, um, there's going to be a summit coming up and it's so brand new. I can't even remember the name, but I, the important thing is that I am going to be talking about like self re-identification. And I think, um, that is something we don't really think about, but we experience when we pursue better health or uh, Mm -hmm. better self-development. And it's this idea that like, you don't know who the healthy version of yourself is. And it kind of scares you because you're like, but I love pizza, but I love, you know, pasta and Dairy Queen and all of these uh, maybe traditions or nostalgic um, comfort experiences that you have. And you think, how can I you know, still be the same person and be giving up those things? Or how can I still be the same fun Marisa if I'm not getting wasted every weekend? Right. <laughs> and right. it's like, it's kind of um, standing in a lot of people's way because they don't stop to, to think these things 
through and you don't make up your mind. You don't like write out like a re-identifying like statement about yourself. You just have to explore like, can I be the same person who loves food and never turns anything down and isn't a picky eater, but still be someone who's gluten-free and cares about quality ingredients. I slowly learned that I can be both of those things, but at first it seemed like I was split in half. Like I had a split identity and it was like, it had to be one or the other. You know, I'm either a healthy person or I'm a foodie who's obsessed with food and, and will eat anything someone gives to me. And, and finally being able to, to, understand a compromise and choose that compromise to me was so liberating. And I think it's important on people's food freedom journey to really think about that because you can be the same person you've always been, just a better version of yourself. And um, people can find me at Marisa underscore moon underscore, which is my Instagram name and at Marisa moon.com. It's like Marissa with one S and at marisamoon.com slash IF freedom, the IF stands for intermittent fasting. And that's where you can download my reset manual for intermittent fasting. It's great for beginners, especially the emails that come with it. I'm coaching you along the way. And um, I hope that everyone finds this conversation refreshing, but you can find more of my content in both of those places. So thank you. Absolutely. So um, listeners, you should be able to see all these links um, at the bottom of the show notes so you can have direct access to that. Um, before we go, uh, you did have some book recommendations. I just want to kind of touch up on them and why you chose those so the listeners can have a pick on what, which one they want to go after. And then the last part would be our speed round, which are a couple questions uh, that I'll fire at you um, just to get to know you a little bit more. Uh, and just a fun way to uh, learn a little bit more about uh, Marisa. Cool. So the first one was uh, Better Than Before by Gretchen Rubin. Yes. Gretchen Rubin is a happiness and habits expert, wrote some incredible books. But that one especially, Better Than Before, is really about learning all of these little things that make you unique or your situation unique that will help you achieve behavior change or adopting new habits or breaking bad ones. And um, what a clever collection of um, realizations about humans and the way that we operate. So I definitely want you to look into that if you're like, I don't know why I just can't make myself do this. And the spinoff of that book is the four tendencies and the four tendencies framework helps us understand why we can or can't uh, meet expectations that we put on ourselves or that others put on us. And that has a lot to do with um, achieving health and wellness goals. And so I use it a lot in, in the work I do with my clients. Awesome. The second one was The Primal Connection by Mark Sisson, I think. Yeah, Mark Sisson. He is Sisson. the primal godfather, the guy who wrote The Primal Blueprint at marksdailyapple.com. And uh, one of my mentors, he founded the Primal Health Coach Institute where I was certified. So The Primal Connection, um, I even interviewed Mark once and he admitted it's his favorite book too because he's wrote, written so <laughs> many books now. Um, it's my favorite and I send it to several clients because it really goes through all of the things that we may be missing in our modern lifestyle that our our body, our genes, our DNA is really craving, you know, in order to achieve happiness, fulfillment, good health and vitality, we need to connect more with the primal 
lifestyle that we were designed to be integrated with. And, and it's everything from relationships and being in nature to also like pushing yourself out of your comfort zone or um, experiencing like shocks to the system like you do if you go on a roller coaster or um, just walking barefoot. And I, it's so refreshing, to be honest with you. I think anyone would be ready for that book. It's not just for someone who's like, yay, primal. Like it's it's eye-opening. It's It really gets you thinking like, whoa, these are things that we take for granted or think we can live without, but our body's telling us we can't. And that's why some of us struggle so much. Like we don't have moments of silence. Like we, we think meditation is like the craziest thing um, because yeah. we don't like being alone with our thoughts. And never before in human history did we have so many ways to distract ourselves or white noise apps and t you know a TV we could leave on all night. And uh, it's just being in darkness and being in silence is a part of your human experience that is missing. And I think that you'd be surprised once you gradually work your way into some of those practices, how much better your life can be. Awesome. And then the third one was Stress Less, Accomplish More by Emily Fletcher. Oh, man, I almost brought it up earlier. That's a really, really great book. And I, it's I think it's really designed for anyone who feels like it's just impossible to manage it all and keep up and um, just not lose your lose your mind sometimes or, or have a breakdown or I, I don't know. It's just we really have high expectations for ourselves and um, we feel like there's huge expectations on us. How do you do all of it? without losing it. And she teaches her um, simple meditation mindfulness a method that sh she's made wildly popular all over the world now. And it's a really easy read. And it just gets you thinking about, you know, not, not really balancing all of that stress with something else. Like, it needs balance. You, if you're not like, dancing like no one's watching or laughing until you're crying or having sex or exercising so much that you can't breathe like you're you're that energy is going nowhere you're getting stressed and it's just building up and building up the emotional energy is building up inside of us if you're not having a good like sob session and like crying your eyes out like that energy has to go somewhere and we need to be balanced in one way or another. And, and it's one of the reasons people don't like meditation because it makes them feel like they want to cry. They can't, they can't face all of those emotions building up inside, but we eventually have to, otherwise it can make us sick or worse. Mm -hmm. And it's an easy read that is, um, I think really, really inspiring. It got me meditating regularly on a daily basis when I hadn't done it. I, I was never able to achieve daily meditation until I read that book. Awesome. All right. Now this last piece before uh, we say goodbye are, or what we like to call speed round. So here I'm going to fire some questions at you and you have, I used to say 0.3 seconds, but really oh, gosh. just say it as fast as you can. <laughs> um, and, and we'll move on. It's just a couple of questions and then we'll close up. Okay. Ready? Sure. All right. <laughs> what is your greatest fear? Insects. Insects. Yeah. Really? I'm trying there, to get over it though. Like I, I moved to the woods. Is there a particular? No, uh, it used to be just 
their legs and, and just how confused I was by what they were going to do and their behavior. And it was just very unfamiliar to me. I lived sheltered in a city in this, you know, concrete jungle for so long that I didn't have to face insects much. And they just scared the living crap out of me. Like, you know, I got in a car accident once because of it. I almost moved out wow. of an apartment once because of an insect. And like, it was such a bad fear. My husband drew an ant on a napkin. He's a really good artist though, but he drew an ant and I started crying in a restaurant and I had to leave. So it wow. was that scary, but I am not like that anymore. And I'm constantly working to, um, get over that fear because I didn't want to live that way. And I wanted yeah. to be a gardener and I wanted to raise chickens and we live in the woods now. And you can't be that deathly afraid of insects if you live in the woods. And so slowly, but surely I am getting there. Good. Awesome. Um, next question. Top three things on your bucket list. Well, I want to travel the world. So I don't know if that could be one <laughs> and I want to take a helicopter ride Two. That's number two. And I want to be like one of those little old Italian ladies who like grows all their own food and then cans it and jars it and then gives it to people as gifts and has like a larder and a cellar where they store everything and makes their own wine and dried sausage. So I hope I can be that one day. That is very good. Uh, very good one to have on bucket list. I like that. Thanks. I'm trying to I'm trying to do something similar, hopefully very soon. I don't know about that far, but uh, <laughs> growing herbs and growing some uh, stuff in the garden would be good. Yeah, it's kind of uh, hard when you when yeah. you've never done it before. It's like dang, yeah, you need like and, five years to suck and then get a little bit better as you go. Exactly, and I don't have the best green thumb around here, but it's all right. Uh, next one, last movie you saw. It was. This can be in the I theater watch, or Netflix. Or yeah, whatever. I watch movies a lot, but I'm I'm getting the shows I watch confused with the movies. Um, it was, um, oh, it was with, was it Jamie Fox? And it was on Netflix. It's new, and oh. he was like secretly like smuggling drugs, but he was a cop. And he, mm -hmm. it was really good actually. Um, and the guy from Stranger Things, the cop from that Hopper, he was yeah. one of the cops in there who ended up being crooked. Oops, spoiler alert. Um, but I don't remember what the name of that was, but it was really good. Yeah, I remember. I see. I saw that. That was a good movie. So, yeah. Um, uh, last question: Do you have a favorite superhero, and who might it be? Well, it's Iron Man, um, but it's only with. Um, I almost said Harry Connick Jr. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank again. You must like, um, be making me nervous with this rapid fire, but yeah, the original so Iron Man actor, what the heck? Why am I drawing a name? Something junior. Um, I'm he's hilarious. Mark, Mark, Down <laughs> no, Mark Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. Thank Robert. You. Yeah. Together we'll figure it out. But yeah, like, there you go. he was just so perfect for that role and he's not going to do it anymore. So I don't know if we'll have any more Iron Man. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. He was, yeah. The, for sure. He was the best Iron Man. I know. And there was only one. Who could oh, ever yeah. top that? Like his attitude and personality and wit. It was just so, so good. And I just love all the Iron Man movies. I love superhero movies and uh, magic like Harry Potter. I love that kind of stuff. All right. Well, this last part um, is just thanks. Uh, the first thank you goes to you, Marisa. Thank you for taking the time to jump on this podcast and share with us your philosophy and everything that you provide, not only to your clients, but to the world. So thank you very much for jumping on the podcast. Thank you. Wow. It's really a pleasure.
The second thank you goes to our listeners. Thank you very much for allowing us to have this platform, to have special guests like Marisa and others to share their knowledge and experience uh, and be able to help you in your path to health, performance, and healing. And the last thank you goes to our clients, our patients, students, and those who we get to work with on a daily basis. Uh, thank you for seeing the value in which we uh, provide. Um, we truly, honestly love what we do, and we thank you for allowing us to share that with you. With that being said, this is Connect and Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna, signing out. Hey there, Andy Fortuna here, and I hope you enjoyed that episode. I love the opportunity to connect and share information with passionate people just like you, and would love the opportunity to do the same for others. So please take the time right now to leave a five-star review and help spread the word about this podcast. Thank you so much for your support, and see you on the next episode. Hold up.